gentlemen, welcome to the Art of Disruption podcast from Tabare, bringing you the world's best artists and gallerists wherever you are. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Art of Disruption podcast, brought to you by Tabare, which is a brand new online platform bringing you the life stories of some of the greatest living artists from all around the world. This is your host, Will McBain, recording live back in the Gambia after 10 months in the UK. And thoughts to all our listeners still in various degrees of tiered restrictions right now. Uh, but we hope your Christmas and festive plans can still materialise despite all the challenges you're facing. But on today's episode, we hope to bring you some festive cheer as we have a very special guest on the phone from Ghana. In just a moment, we will be speaking to the masterful artist whose depictions of women, crowds and urban landscapes throughout his long career has brought him an ever-widening international following for his paintings that he creates using his palette's knife. Uh, he has been one of the instigators of the Ghanaian painting renaissance and whose work truly brings out his passion for life and his love for the everyday person. Using warm, imparted pigments that bring to life the exuberance and heat of Ghana, its bustling market stalls, beautifully attired crowds and the zestful energy of West African urban centres. I am talking, of course, about Ablade Glover, who joins us on the phone from his studio in Accra. So please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's show. It's a huge pleasure to introduce right now Ablade Glover, the 86-year-old octogenarian whose career has spanned six decades, including a number of professorships, teaching art in the UK, Ghana and the US, and whose own journey into art began as the winds of change swept Africa and national independence movements won Africa their freedom from the late 1950s onwards. Few people, if any, understand the historical relationship and ties between Ghana and the UK better than Ablade Glover, who was born in 1934 in Accra and then, soon after Kwame Nkrumah became the first independent leader of Ghana in 1957, he was awarded a scholarship fully paid for by the Ghanaian government to go and study art in Newcastle to then return to teach back in Ghana. The 1950s and 1960s were a golden era for the West African art scene, as the likes of Glover painted and the visionary poet leader Leopold Sido Senghor in Senegal invested in the arts to a degree more than anyone before or since in history for that matter. A second chapter living in the UK introduced Glover to the palette's knife and a relationship began that would bring forth some of the warmest, most inviting depictions of Africa you could ever hope to see through Glover's paintings. Uh, paintings that are so rich and vibrant, so full of life, that just looking at them can bring out the sounds, the smells, the beauty of West African societies. So we go over live right now to Ablade Glover. Hello, Professor. Hello. How are you, what sir? You yeah, very I'm good. Fine. Good, good. I'm very fine. And you? Very well, very well. It's uh, it's an it's an honour for me to uh, to be speaking to you today, sir. Thank you. It's good to meet you too. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And how are you today, sir? I'm fine. I'm fine. I've just been to the family house uh, to check things. We are in our festive season, so 
I had to go to I had to go to the family house too. Very good. See that thing? Uh, yes, things are going fine. Yes. Wonderful. And you're and you're in a crowd today. I take it. I'm in a crowd this morning. Yes, I'm in Labadi. Wonderful. La. Wonderful. Yes. I I when I first moved to Africa 15 years ago, I lived in Teshi Nungwa. Oh. <laughs> You live just away, a little away from Labadi. Right? Yeah, we would we would have yes, been neighbors. Yes. You 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 cross when beyond La and go to Teshi and Nungwa. Yeah, yes. I lived in Nungwa myself before. Ah, when, when I came to retirement, yes, I went to uh, Nungwa. I lived in Nungwa when we opened the first art gallery there. Yeah, and, but because of the traffic, you know the traffic. So oh, dreadful! It was terrible. It yeah. was terrible. Yeah, that's how we located. Very good. Yeah, good. When, when when I was eighteen, I thought that perhaps I could become a boxer, and uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and so I moved <laughs> because my grandfather used to box. He was Scottish, but he used to box in Ghana in the forties and fifties. So I went to. I lived in Tishinungwa, but I used to go to the uh, one of the boxing gyms in Bukum, and uh, oh, okay. yeah, but. <laughs> But but after after maybe two months, I realised I was never be- no, no, never going to no, become no. a professional. Those boys were tough. <laughs> they were too tough for yes, me. Yes, I, I, I can I can tell you. Yeah. Well, it is. You see, when you are young, you dream dreams. <laughs> you know, see things for yourself. I tell you. Yeah. I, I when I I went I came to Britain, the University, uh, University of Newcastle. I thought I could do judo. Wow, very and, good. Uh, so I joined the judo club and. <laughs> They threw me down once, and I thought, uh-uh. I said, no, 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 this is too much. They taught me how to fall. But, uh, <laughs> just, you know. well, those Geordie boys, they're very tough as well. I can imagine. So, so if it's okay, uh, Professor, if, if I start with the first question, is that all right? Yes, please, let's go ahead. Wonderful, wonderful. So I wanted to ask you, so before studying textile design in London... Uh, you you yes. trained to be a, a teacher in Kamasi in 1957. Uh, I was a teacher at the University of Science and Technology. Thank you. It was then that what they called uh, the uh, College of Technology, uh, where I studied uh, art and then art education. My sister's art on art education, uh-huh. and therefore it wasn't any specialist course, but it's just to te- to train teachers who go to teach art in the schools. So I joined that kind of uh, group. What? And I, after, I went to tech to train as a specialist in art theory. because Simply because I didn't like classroom teaching. Right. So I left teaching to go teach art. Yeah. Which, thank you. And, of course, 1957 was the year of independence. So I, I wanted to ask you, what, yes. what, what was Ghana like at that time? <laughs> Ghana was hot. Ghana was. Yes, um, Nkrumah brought a whole new dimension to, from 1948, uh, when the problems started in Ghana, and Kroma entered the scene, he came to join the uh, United Gold Coast Convention. I was pretty young then, 1948, I was thinking like 14, yes, yes, I was 14. And um, uh, then things became hot. uh, independence movement became pretty strong. Uh, that was when things started. And then, of course, in 1948, uh, they, they launched what they called the boycott. Uh, and then the boycott um, went 
to looting. And I must tell you, I went to loot too. Uh, we were in boarding school then, but the bo all schools were closed. So young boys uh, joined the real tough ones to break into stores and shops and things and do the looting. Of course, the colonial government then brought in the soldiers from Nigeria who couldn't speak their language so that they could quell the thing. But that is how it all started. Um, the independence movement was quite a, a very hefty period uh, and a very unsettled period. It, it was traumatic. But nobody expected uh, things that happened to happen. Uh, there was looting. I mean, looting in Ghana is it, the, the, the bottom of lawlessness. And the police and soldiers couldn't handle it. I, they didn't so bad. And, yes. and and for for some of our readers who would who wouldn't know Ghanaian history, what was what was the cause for the looting? What was why was that a reaction? Oh, one uh, the, the, the looting really it wasn't a cause, but uh, um, people took advantage of certain things that happened. Uh, the ex-service soldiers marched to the Christmas Christmasburg Castle to demand their. Uh, Emolument. Normally, what they are allowances they are supposed to be getting, but they weren't getting. So they say uh, they marched there, and then of course the, the they couldn't they shouldn't march to the castle. That is what the real colonialist rule. They shouldn't march to the castle. That's what the seat of government. So it means they were going to attack government. It's like planning a coup or something like that. And then um, the uh, governor then. At the time, I've gotten the name of them. But the governor then ordered the soldiers, the security services, to meet them at the crossroads, um, Christiansburg Cross, Christiansburg Crossroad. That's where you either go straight or you go straight to the castle. You go straight to the castle or you turn your way to go to town. So they were shot. And uh, one man from Labadi was killed. In fact, there were three men who were shot, who were killed. But the most important, they say, it was uh, Sergeant Ajete who was killed on the spot. By the British, and, by the colonial soldiers? By colonial... They, no, they, they are soldiers. Uh, um, uh, oh, this man's name. The, the, there was one Englishman who was the head of the security. He ordered the police and the soldiers to stop them, to stop the ex-servicemen coming, entering the castle. They were stopped. Uh, and they were stopped with shooting. And some three men fell. Uh, one at Tipo and one or oh, three of them. And therefore, it hyped, uh, hyped the problem. And people ran to town, ran back from the castle, going to the castle, to town. And, you know, they went to a hut, then it turned into routing and then looting. It, it, it degenerated. And before we knew, the whole of Accra was burning. People were burning everything. So that is how it all started, yes. And, and then, of course, once independence uh, was won by the Ghanaians, the Gold yes. Coast became Ghana, there must have been a yes. great atmosphere within the country, lots of hope and optimism, I imagine. Lots of great hope was expected. People were expecting great things to happen. People were expecting that we were going to share money. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of... The, the, the things the politicians, the promises they make that 
these are online, they, all the monies they are using out there, they take the, all our money to Britain and all that, you know, and then these monies will be shared. I think we were, to, we were told, we had that uh, Ghana had something like 144 million uh, pounds uh, sitting there and they will be shared, it will be shared. And, uh, we're only five million, so, so you can imagine how much I will get. <laughs> a lot of money. So um, people imagine all sorts of things. Uh, but uh, independence came, and then there was no sharing. There was the promises were plenty, a lot of promises that never happened. Today, people are still expecting some of these things to materialize, but they, um, one has got to face reality. Uh, as the nation grows, the People are, governments are borrowing, the, the, the economy is expanding. I'm not holding a brief for anybody, but I tell you, it's um, uh, I, nobody, nothing has happened really. Uh, nothing really positive has happened. There are good things, good things have happened. When I say nothing positive, uh, nothing meeting the expectation of people have not happened. I see, and, and the expectation must have been huge in 1957, but just... Big, too big. Yeah. Too big. Too big. Expectations are too many. Yes. And, and but it, that's come, all of those things come from the promises of mm. politicians. It's the politicians, it's not the people, you know, I don't blame the people. People are promised all sorts of things. Now, we are, presently, we are heading for a new election, and the promises are amazing. I mean, and the promises are there. They, they, they say also things, good things that are coming in, free education, free feeding, this kind of thing. But immediately the, the, the elections are over, yeah. then that, um, they, they settle down and it's back to square one. Yeah, unfortunately so. But, but just two years after independence, uh, you would start your lifelong travels to the United Kingdom. And also yes. then afterwards to the United States. I was one of them, yes. I yeah. was one of the few lucky ones. Uh, yeah. The nation was then uh, geared towards uh, what they called the... Um, they wanted to develop very fast. Uh, so they want, they selected uh, people who were in various fields. They, was, they, they created this what they called Commonwealth Development Corporation. It, it was uh, an organization that was giving many scholarships in all areas to Ghanaians, young men particularly. People who are in, the, in their own fields already, people working, people are doing things, they're giving scholarships, artisans, uh, artists, uh, engineers. Uh, oh, they were men. I, I, I met a lot of colleagues by, from my university who, they also came to, they all came to Britain, engineers, uh, doctors, uh, pharmacists. Uh, they wanted the Ghanaian to take over economy to run the economy and then of course the Europeans were living in droves because I, 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 I imagine because they didn't want to stay in this kind of thing because they were living uh, and then the understanding would have been you would have you would have gone to the US or to the United States like you did to get your master's and PhD yes, and then to come yes. back to Ghana and to use the the to additional back, skills yeah, yes of course there's lots of positions and goodies good things then you'd be giving him that's a dream you know you were going to get a bungalow and a car and a fridge and all the great things you know so yes it's a great those were great times uh, young people got the dream that they could also make it and uh, a lot of so some of us are lucky. And and, and, and Professor, how how did living in the UK and the US 
influence you as one as a person and secondly your arts your arts if at all hmm. when i entered i entered the central school and uh, it was a new area for me uh, going to do turn into textiles i met uh, people of my age my a group where they were very, I was very happy and uh, it was great fun. Uh, I, I, I entered into a, a hostel. Uh, the British Council were looking after us, they took, put us all into a hostel. So we met our colleagues from Ghana, from Nigeria, from where, and it, it, it was it was fun. And then at school too, I I met some, some good Great teachers. I met great teachers. Uh, my, one man I cannot forget, Gordon Crook. I heard later you went to Australia or someplace like that. But uh, Gordon Crook was teaching us uh, design. Uh, at the time, he was he himself was in textile, no, um, fab, what they call carpet design. I'm told. I was told. But he was teaching us general graphic, uh, general design, design. And he, he was great. He, he brought things that were actually happening in industry to the classroom. Uh, he himself was a practicing artist. What do what do we do? The central school was great. They, they weren't having teachers as such. They brought men who were in industry themselves and who brought us problems in the factories. So sometimes some some of the problems that were said to us, given to us, were actual problems. Uh, that uh, happenings in the factories. So it, it was like you were working in the factory, uh, working in the studios or whatever. And it, those were challenging days. And it, it was exciting to, to think that you are solving problems that are real, not uh, imagined problems. And, you, and you, would have got, I, you would have got a real insight into British culture, no doubt. Oh, yes, yes. Youth culture, yes. Who we went to great parties. <laughs> students, were, <laughs> students were students, you know, uh, that students went, uh, they had almost uh, like everybody had a party, called a party some end of the London, some, hey, uh, yes, same place, uh, base water. People called parties. So we, we went, we and we had a lot of drink. I learned to drink in Britain. I learned really to drink badly. Um, and then, of course, our embassy, the Ghana embassy was dishing out monies that uh, I wasn't used to, you know, lots of monies, money for students. We were, were giving, we were looked after. I, th I think we were spoiled. I think we were spoiled. They gave us a lot of money. It was 33 pounds a month we were given. And with everything paid, um, your hostel has been paid, your school fees has been paid, everything has been paid. Uh, all you have to do is to feed yourself, uh, buy your drinks, and buy your food. But otherwise, so we had at the end of the month, we had a lot of money in our pockets, and we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so we we went to the club, uh, the pubs, and I I, think I came across what they call a uh, crab sandwiches. Crab, crab sandwiches, crab. yes. Yes, and we, wow, it's you know, we went to the clubs, and when we ordered crab sandwiches, people looked at us like, hey. Who are these? <laughs> you know, it, it was fun. It was great fun. So, yes, I got into the cultural uh, mood, and uh, I, like most students, we, we learned a lot of. Uh, I, we got involved in the culture. 
And of course, learning a lot about uh, culture and living abroad, of course, living in the UK was um, when you started using a palette knife. So, so, so my question to you... It was much later. Ah. It was much later. It was rather at Newcastle. After London, I came back to Ghana and my expectations were dashed because I was expecting to enter into one of the factories that has been that has started, that has been opened in Kema and be some big boss or something. But uh, nothing like that happened. First, I was taken to a studio where what they were doing, I, I don't think they were doing anything. And then I moved to, I went back to teaching, classroom teaching. And um, I, I was sent to Winneba Specialist Training College. And I was supposed to teach people uh, what I learned. And um, I didn't like the town. I liked the teaching, but I didn't like the school. But I didn't like the town. The town was a dull, was a dull place. Now, a man had arrived from London, had some life, you know. <laughs> so it, it didn't happen that way in uh, Winneba. So I moved to Accra to get some more life. And uh, I found I found the whole, and then that was the time when uh, uh, there was uh, a lot of upheaval in Ghana. People, there was this overthrow of Krumah movement that had been started. They wanted Krumah out and so on. So there were a lot of bombs being thrown here and there, and a lot of people, politicians were being imprisoned. And Krumah was, uh, he had this eye on the thing. He, anybody who looked like, including not himself, but I think his uh, people, so if you are suspected, like they brought in what they call the Preventive Detention Act. So if you are thought, they look at your face and you look like an opposition member, they can put you to jail and there's no end to it. So that's why I wanted to get out of the country. So I applied to Newcastle to continue my studies. And I went to Newcastle University to do my art education. That is where I met somebody. In my, there are my teaching practices. You know, they, as you are sent, we are we are sent to schools uh, to teach. And I met a teacher, an art teacher, in the, one of the schools, Newcastle schools, and he he really pointed the uh, palette knife to me. And 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 what is it about your character that so suited using a palette knife? Yes, uh, yes, I I never quite liked it. Brush, even though that's how I was trained. Uh, brush, it, it looked too. Um, it's like soft, you know. And you got to paint over and over. You know, painting with a brush. <laughs> I don't know if you got the feeling, but um, I was doing. That's how I was taught to paint, and I was painting like that. And this man looked at me and said, oh, "The way you want things happen, you need to use a palette knife." And I had not even seen that, seen the palette knife, but I'd never tried before. So I, I picked it up and I realized, yeah, hey, it, it really registers your feelings immediately. You register it or you take it away. You register it to the end. For me, that kind of spontaneity uh, that happens and therefore the accidents that happen was great. And that was me. I, I immediately picked it up and I thought that there was no. Uh, turning back then there was no turning back wonderful um what do you think your paintings of crowds uh, say about society more generally yes uh, the crowds excite me it's the movement 
and the color change. The color moves. And that is Ghana. I wonder if you looked at the bottle of when people are passing each other, they, it's, it's the, the movement. And therefore, the color movement. And it's so exciting. Well, there's no end to it. Uh, this is why uh, they, the same kind of thing took me to the market. My imagination went to the market. I like people and the crowds and the movement in the crowds and so on, that kind of thing, yes. And the palette knife registers it and you take it off if it doesn't answer to your uh, feelings. You take it away with a palette knife and scrape it off and then put another color there. So it, it, it's spontaneous. spontaneous. And that's the movement. I think that is the tempo we got. It's a it's a it's a country of movement. Movement. Things are changing very fast. Extremely around you, things are changing. In the morning, the market looks different. In an hour, it looks different. In two hours, the same market changes so much color, so much movement. You cannot register it all. Do you think that each human being has a creative spark? I think I think so. Each 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 um, factor that enters into that kind of movement contributes to the, the the entire sort of scenario. And it it yes, definitely, every person has something to offer on that scale. Yes. And and, and as someone who who taught widely and 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 in various different places, um, wh- what do you think stops people from realizing their creative potential? People are very creative, particularly the native people. When I say the native people, people who have lived uh, like the ordinary man in the, in the streets and so on, and people who do things, you see in their work and their behavior and whatever they do that the, the, the society is extremely creative. People are born creative. Um, things that... Um, Stop the creativity uh, developing happens to be contemporary thinking, contemporary things. Like I, I, I keep uh, I on the subject some time ago when I was lecturing people uh, concerning Kente, like what Kente is woven by ordinary people who've never been to school before. Now, people who've been to school who are educated doing it. But before, real Kente, beautiful Kente, great Kentes were woven. And these people have never been to, they don't measure anything, but they use their just imagination, and then they keep within the thing. And now, for us, those who have been to school, you need to measure, you know, to, to look at it. And um, to think that these people who have never been to school before and they, 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 they have this skill, when they are within it, you need to see it. it, it it's hard to describe. They are different. You see that naturally people have the simple creativity, God-given creativity. And um, things rather that have disturbed us had been education. People have been introduced to ways of doing things and therefore we are inhibited. So you, so you, so you think edu- I, that people's creativity can be educated out of them? Curtailed, curtailed, uh, you, you, you curtailed. That's the word I want to use. Um, uh, we, we think, do you, for example, you taught how to draw a man. Uh, we taught in school that when you draw a man, a, a male, he must have uh, large shoulders and 
thin uh, waist uh, coming down the hips. Uh, and when you draw a woman, the top must be uh, thin, and then the hips that are big. And so we certain formulas that we used to draw. Now looking at it, myself when I look at this, it's not true at all. You know, every individual has some great, uh, uh, great things about him, about the person. And you need to only open your eyes and uh, tackle the subject as it is. So we learned a lot of theories and they learned a lot of things to answer certain problems that you meet. But if we are left or we are taught, we are also opened to uh, be naturally creative and open your eyes, just open your eyes. I think that, that, that opens a lot of areas for our creativity to flow. Thank you. Um, talk, talking of women, you, you masterfully uh, portray the strength and elegance of African women. I love, I love women. I, I think I love my mother is fantastic. It's the greatest woman I've ever, ever seen. I love women. They, they're great. And they, they hold the economy. They hold everything. They hold the nation. They, they, women are the, the, the bulwark of the nation. They hold the, the, the nation, the, 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 the culture. I think so. Personally, I think so, yes. And, and it's and it's that strength that makes you want to portray them. But I but I wanted to ask you, um, where do you think their strength comes from? I wish I know. I wish I wish I know. I wish I knew. I would capture that area. Um, but they carry the babies. They do the work in the farms. They bring the things to the market. When the men leave them for another other women, they still support the family. They, they look after the family. All the great men in Ghana, if you ask them, they were raised by their mothers. I tell you, I, I'm, I'm inclined to think so. I think women happen to be particularly great. Um, they are like it. Most women in other parts of the world have, at least let me talk about what I know. My, um, our women are great women, have great souls, and without them, there would have been no Ghana. Without them, I think. Uh, their character, their behavior, they're taking, taking the challenge, and uh, in spite of all perils, they go on and on and make sure that the family survives. They, they are great. They're great, simple great. Are, are there enough opportunities for women in Ghana to become leaders at this present time? Presently, yes. Presently, I think I would say yes to that question. Yes. Um, women are becoming, oh, they are taking positions. Um, uh, only that our last chief justice, just the last one, was a uh, uh, woman. Uh, the uh, what we had the uh, Speaker of Parliament, uh, we had the the EC Electoral Commission today is a woman. Oh, um, our universities, uh, my own university has been taken over by a woman. <laughs> She's a vice chancellor, a woman. Oh, I can mention them. Today, when you look at the, on the horizon, you see that uh, women are really beginning to be themselves. They're they really making it. Yes. They're showing that uh, the woman has a place wherever, wherever. Yes. And, and you will continue to to paint women. Oh, I never can stop painting women. <laughs> I never can stop you. The 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 windows, the body language, in my every the the yes, I'll continue painting. I love I love the the style, the the, the 
even when they annoy it, it's still it's, it's still beautiful. <laughs> yes. No doubt. Um, what can many of your fans from all around the world uh, be excited about uh, in the next coming year or two years from, from yourself or from your gallery? Uh, people come, uh, some want me to go back. <laughs> you know, they ask uh, questions. Uh, oh, I like that. They want you to go back. And it's pretty hard, time, uh, hard to tend to those subjects or tend to those styles. Um, uh, they want somebody want a special uh, painting. Like recently, I got somebody wants my Aluta scenes. Uh, that is uh, the demonstration scenes. Today, nobody is demonstrating. So. The last question I was going to ask you was: um, This is such an exciting time for the art world. With, uh, yes, are, firstly, are you, are you proud of the development since the nineteen fifties and the growing recognition of artists from Africa? I am I'm happy that uh, people in Europe and Asia and America are beginning to turn to look at African art. Um, and I came to the realization uh, that when we opened this gallery, after my, in fact, after my retirement, I came into, into the gallery scene. And we realized that um, traditional art is known very much in the, in the West, particularly. Um, wherever you go, when you talk of African art, they think of masks and uh, that kind of thing. That's all they do, carvings and weavings and that sort of thing. They never uh, see, uh, to think of art as drawing and painting, uh, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's not known very much in the Western world as African art, painting. It's not known. And that's um, why I'm very happy that I got the opportunity to tell the world. We opened the gallery specifically to give exposure to contemporary African art, not mass alone. But we were forced to, not we were forced to, but by circumstances, and when you look at the market, we've got to show the two alongside each other uh, so that uh, we're showing the traditional art in the gallery and we're showing the contemporary art, what artists today are doing. Uh, but it's just that people who come to the gallery, they first want to look at traditional art. That's what they know. You can't blame them. That's what I introduced to them. And now when they see the contemporary art too, they get excited. They some show real excitement. Wow, that's, that's something great. So yes, I, I, I am happy. Perhaps we're doing the right thing, showing the two areas together. People are beginning to appreciate that there was a traditional art, but Africa is moving. It's not stagnant, sitting there. And there is, in fact, a very vibrant contemporary art world that is uh, taking shape in the African world. So yes, I'm happy, very happy about it. What? Very happy. Wonderful. Final, final question. As, as someone who, st who started uh, back in the 50s, their art career, now in 2000, uh, 2020, we have the internet, we have social media. Um, do, do, has, has, that, has, has the growth of the internet and social media been a good thing for artists? It, it, it's, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Yes, it is. Wonderful. Now you can take a picture and send it to somebody uh, uh, in Britain or the US to see the actual picture before even he buys it. 
So people ask those questions and say, oh, okay, send me, can you send me a picture, an image? And we do send images, yes. So it is, it help, it's helping the, the art world and particularly it's helping Africa. Wonderful. Well, well, I just want to say thank you so much for your for your time today, um, Professor. It's, thank it's you been, very much. yes. Please, thank you. It's nice. It's, it's good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Goodbye. What a gentleman, and what an incredible life a bloody Glover has had so far. Uh, I really hope all of you listening enjoyed hearing from this legendary figure of the Ghanaian and global art scene. Um, yeah, the title of legend is, of course, as we know, completely overused in our generation. Uh, but Glover is truly just that. Um, if you're not acquainted with his paintings and you love arts, uh, then I say with the greatest of respect, what are you doing with your life? Uh, and so please check out his work at the soonest possible time you'll have. Uh, Glover has partnered with October Gallery in London uh, for a long time now and is great friends with that gallery. Uh, so if you're in London, head down there to see the works in person. And to all of the rest of you online, uh, then do head over to tabare.com as they're listing Abladi Glover's works and many more great artists from Africa, the diaspora, and soon also from the Middle East as well. Yeah, thank you so much for listening and please join us again in just a few days' time for the next podcast with Alexei Peskin. Um, no punches were pulled in that show. Uh, we talk about his incredible nail-based artwork, his experiences inspiring a new generation of artists from Paris to Brazil, and also about the momentous events that have taken place this year, uh, from racism, Black Lives Matter protests, and neo-colonialism in Africa. Uh, so until then, keep well and join us next time.